entering the Freedom Hut. CNN is in the midst of a seven-hour climate change extravaganza of insanity. We'll talk about that. And also the latest on Walmart caving to the far left on guns. There's also now going to be a renewed discussion over universal background checks. We got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. An unprecedented Democratic presidential town hall event. Climate crisis. Biden, Warren, Sanders, Harris, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Booker, O'Rourke, Yen, Castro. Ten candidates, ten town halls, all on one night. Tonight, 5 Eastern. Seven hours of climate change madness. (laughs) Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Tonight, Yang, Klobuchar, Biden, if he remembers to show up. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Seven hours. I mean, if we made detainees watch this CNN climate change town hall, I'm pretty sure it would be a violation of the Geneva Convention. Like, I I think there's a real case to be made that being forced to watch this CNN climate change town hall under any circumstances might be a crime against humanity. You, you, you can't make this stuff up. Seven hours. Now, I know that they expect those. Oh, but we're not, you know, expecting people. No, no. I'm sure there's some CNN people like, I need to watch all of this. Otherwise, the climate's just going to destroy us all. Wow. Uh, that does feel a bit like there might be some exploitative timing here as well with a hurricane that is just shy of being a uh, category three now it's a category two but very close to being a three and it has strengthened in the last few hours uh, to propagate this narrative that what we are doing is the cause that we are the cause of this destruction our activity meaning our economic day-to-day activity is the reason that this is befalling us you have to just marvel at the disconnect from reality that liberals are engaged in here. And and just also, seven hours? As if that wasn't enough. MSNBC, oh, that's right. They want to get in on this action, too. They announced earlier today, Climate Forum 2020, a two-day event featuring the 2020 presidential Democrats. Uh... Now, to this, I just want to say, excuse me, MSNBC, but if you really cared about climate change, wouldn't your two-day climate change event be more like a week? Oh, I'm sorry. Don't have enough time to save the world. <laughs> what a oh, what a bunch of what a bunch of lunacy this is. Uh, Andrew Yang, who has some good some I shouldn't say he doesn't have good ideas. He has interesting ideas. You know, Andrew Yang is the guy who's like, you know, like, you know, maybe we could build, um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe we could build a, a sports stadium that floats in the air. And we're all like, oh, interesting. Probably really expensive and can't work. But, you know, you, you, you like to debate and discuss some of the things that he puts out there. And he also comes across like a reasonably earnest, nice guy. So 
you know, he's not mean. You know who comes across as really mean to me all the time is, is Buttigieg. Guy just seems mean. Never seen him smile, make a joke, do anything even vaguely funny and self-aware. He's just always, like, lecturing everybody. And especially about the Bible, which he has a, 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 a seemingly loose familiarity with. But Yang wants a carbon tax of 40 to to $100 per ton. This is just this is just a massive, a massive uh, government takeover of whole sectors of the economy. That's all that's all that's going to happen. That's what's going to come from this. You know, that's going to be the the reality. Um, And they're going to try to enrich themselves here. I mean, they're going to try to enrich government coffers by telling you that the world is going to end. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at and they all released their climate change proposals in advance of this uh, this whole town hall thing. Right. And, and these candidates, you look at them. It's all the same, because what are you really going to say other than let's abandon prosperity? Let's abandon what has brought more people as a function of technology and the impact on our day to day lives. Fossil fuels have done more. Uh, to bring people out of poverty. and Because uh, also you, you have to see the system of capitalism that we have is built upon industrialized economies that rely on fossil fuels. So, so really the, the attack on CO2, such as it is, is an attack on capitalism, which is why there's so much crossover with Marxist rhetoric and thinking with all of it. But yeah, Yang's up there. I mean, Klobuchar, all of them. And, you know, the Democrats in the audience, I really wish that I could sit down with them one after the other. I'm talking about the people that watch this and say to them, do you really, you really believe that the world is going to, that the, that the whole cities will be underwater? You know, these are people, mind you, that make fun of anybody who reads the Bible for the most part and says, oh, you believe that this thing happened, you know, 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago and, you know, in ancient Israel and it all, they're, Meanwhile, they're the ones that think that because AOC claims that cow farts are doing too much damage to the atmosphere, we're all going to be uh, threatened with extinction if we don't decide to radically upend the economy. All the things that have brought us comfort and, and food and travel and air conditioning, let's, let's make that much more expensive, which means much more inaccessible, much more inefficient. And let's do it all because the people that keep telling us we're running out of time are extending the time whenever we've run out of the time they said we didn't have. Seven-hour town hall, CNN. I mean, this is, this is what you expect because this is, this is turned into a, a radical belief. It has gone from something that is in the background to now it is, it is a, necessary, a necessary precondition for being a Democrat, for being a leftist in good standing, you must support abortion. You must support uh, climate change. And increasingly, you must support open borders. But, but climate change is an absolute now. You are not allowed. You cannot be a heretic on this and be in good standing with the left because they have so much riding on this. They really do view this as a way to seize more power in your life via the government than would have ever been thought possible before i mean they're trying to create a benevolent green based totalitarian society that's why they're having a seven-hour town hall at cnn and a two-day 
Town Hall at MSNBC. We've got more on this. Stay with me. The hurricane, we got lucky in Florida, very, very lucky indeed. Uh, we had actually our original chart was that it was going to be hit, hitting Florida directly. Maybe I could just see that, Kevin. Uh, it was going to be hitting directly. And that would have affected a lot of other states. Uh, but that was the original uh, chart. And you see it was going to hit uh, not only Florida, but Georgia it could have uh, was going toward the Gulf. That was what we what was originally projected. And it took a right turn. And ultimately, hopefully, we're going to be lucky. It depends on what happens with South Carolina and North Carolina. But it's heading up the coast. The president giving an update there on the uh, U.S. mainland damage of Hurricane Dorian. As he was saying, it looks like Florida did not get uh, hit as badly as, as could have been the case. The Bahamas got hit very hard, though. And, uh, you know, the footage of that devastation is just it's a reminder of the power of Mother Nature, despite all of our technological advances. Also, that you know, the, the world is still a very uncertain and can be a very dangerous and unforgiving place and you think about the bahamas a uh, a locale generally associated in, in most people's minds uh, with paradise it's where they go to get away from all their problems and then you see what's happened to the people who live there bahamians uh and it's just it's heartbreaking homes gone i think there's one i think on grand bahama island uh if i read correctly today Half of structures are either gone or severely damaged, which is just an astonishing number. Uh, we'll hopefully be getting them aid as quickly as possible. Um, I know that there are some states in the southeastern United States that are also facing this thing, and uh, just want everyone down there to know, you know, you're in our you're in our prayers, and and please just err on the side of caution. You know, I I always feel like it's easy to tell people, oh, just listen to the authorities. Well, you know, you know. As a conservative, I'm always also saying you understand your situation. You have the ability to improvise at the local level, especially for yourself and your family that no government could ever have. But you should take into account the, the warnings and the assessments that are given to you. And, and I think that you know, error on the side of caution is just a good, a good rule when dealing with storms. And I, I remember here in New York City a number of times getting ready for very big storms and People had we had all this water on hand and, you know, once or twice uh, it turned out to just be a pretty windy rainstorm. And then there was Hurricane Sandy, which was the uh, the big one that people had been worried about for some time. Uh, but anyway, thoughts and prayers to everybody down there in uh, the southeast United States. And uh, we will keep following the, the story as, as this uh, goes through the week. One other part of uh, the news cycle that is uh, getting very. Little attention this week. I mean, I, I told you yesterday about the story of the uh, Labor Department, Labor Department employee who was fired and was fired because of what is a, a really a false and, and defamatory allegation from a lib reporter at Bloomberg. Uh, the border wall is getting built. This this is uh, going to happen. There is going to be border new border wall construction now there could be some challenges in, in the courts uh, but here's what the here's what the president president says about this appropriation of funds from within the dod budget it was a few billion dollars uh, presidents this this if this goes forward folks this is delivering or at least in the process of delivering on a promise and the wall is being built. It's going up rapidly. It's, uh, I guess most of you have been able to see it. We're uh, building very large sections of wall. Uh, it's uh, 
a big factor was we just won the big Supreme Court case, as you know. And we have, uh, we're building in different sections, we're building different sections simultaneously. And we think by the end of next year, which will be sometime right after the election, actually, but we think we're going to have close to 500 miles of wall, which will be uh, complete. That'll be what we wanted to do is about 500 miles that will take care of all of the areas that we wanted, including some of the marginal areas that we didn't necessarily need, but if we could, uh, could have gotten it done. Uh, we were looking to do about a 500-mile stretch. We should have it almost complete, if not complete, by the end of next year. By the end of next year, just in time for the American people to assess whether President Trump keeps his promises. It is essential, and I, I, really, I really think this, this needs to be emphasized. It is essential that the president deliver on the promise of building a wall at the southern border. He was mocked for this endlessly by his opponents, including a lot of Republican opponents, really all of them in the early days. Uh, He has been ridiculed uh, on this matter in the press. Even though I've spoken to Border Patrol, been down at the border, they think that wall in a lot of areas is very helpful. And all the Border Patrol officers that I've spoken to are quite supportive of President Trump. That's including Border Patrol that has about a 25 percent of Border Patrol are veterans and about 30 percent, I believe, are Latino. And uh, they're all very supportive of President Trump's overall uh, approach to the border, feelings in the border. And, and, you know, they understand what the mission set is and what's going on down there. But this is big. I mean, if he can get if he can get even a, a, a couple of hundred Miles of wall built. Now, it's going to be challenged in the courts. It's going to be challenged in the courts. I have to wonder, though, at what point, uh, you know, at what point is the executive branch going to say that, you know, we're not going to be constrained in day to day actions that are within our purview by a solitary federal judge somewhere that, you know, you're going to have a universal injunction from some judge who's going to say you can't do this. Federal government's not allowed to. All it takes is one judge and to say, sorry, you know, I, I, I got to wonder at what point, at what point does the administration say, OK, we'll see you in court, but we're we're not going to uh, we are not going to concede that a federal judge, you know, what if a federal judge says that the president's uh, you know, not allowed, not allowed to sign a bill, not allowed to sign bills anymore? You know, the, the president under some interpretation of the Procedure Act. You know, the president's not allowed to sign any more laws. Sorry. Is the is the executive branch going to respect that and say, yeah, sure. The president's not the president anymore. What if a federal judge says that the uh, that the president of the United States, all of the laws passed while he's in office, everything he signed is null and void because he's not really the president because of Russia collusion. I mean, a federal judge could could take that opinion. I mean, they've they've taken opinions that are obviously wrong on other matters of executive branch activity under trump so what happens then is is the administration really obligated to just say yeah you know what you're right not even and and not i'm not saying that they just ignore entirely they go to court but you know pending pending review is no longer going to just be okay you say we can't do this so let's wait nine months let's wait a year as this makes its way through the courts so that a higher court not packed with Obama appointed lunatics, you know, leftist, uh, you know, leftist activists in judges' robes, 
is not in place to just say, yeah, sure, you know, we're hashtag resistance. You know, I, I think at some point the administration gets the, gets to a level where they say, um, sorry, uh, you know, we're we're going to we'll meet you in court on this one. And if we're found to have overstepped, we'll stop. But you cannot tie the hands of the executive branch on any matter you want for pure for pure political spite just because you happen to be a federal judge. And, you know, maybe maybe this maybe what I'm saying isn't the answer, but if that's not the answer, then you know what has to be the answer? Start impeaching federal judges. You got to start having consequences for the lawlessness of left wing judges on the bench who clearly and you see it in opinion after opinion and they get overturned time and again, clearly view their role as stopping Trump from enacting policy and and using his executive authority. And that's not their job. So they are betraying their offices. They're betraying the power entrusted to them as federal judges by viewing their role as hashtag resistance in judges robes. And you're going to see it on this wall because, you know, it's it's not the wall so much that bothers the libs. It's that although it does, it does certainly bother them. Uh, and also keep in mind that once that thing goes up and, Ill- and illegal crossings go down in sector after sector, uh, let's just rem- remind ourselves of how many journalists, oh, walls don't work, walls don't work. The dumbest talking point you've ever heard in your life was repeated ad nauseum on CNN and MSNBC. Uh, but there there must be consequences for this judicial activism that's meant to just stymie Trump. They are terrified, really. I mean, the Democrats, the left are terrified that Trump will follow through on this promise, proving that their claims that he was it was all a fraud. He never intended to build a wall uh, and that he was just going to betray his base was wrong, that they were that they were wrong and perhaps they were lying. So that's why they, they for for political reasons, for winning in 2020, they're going to do everything they can to stop construction of this wall, because if Trump, if he in my mind, if Trump uh, follows through on this promise, he could withstand anything for reelection, including a recession. I think if he gets the wall built, he could even get reelected if we hit a recession. That's how important this is. We'll be right back. There is no divide among scientists. Uh, less than 2% of, uh, climate, of scientists are skeptical about climate change. We have 12 years from 2018 until 2030 to either address this or we're going to have irreversible damage. There is a growing danger that the uh, ice cap will melt in Greenland, that we will have, you know, there won't be a big ice cap in the summer. <clears throat> Uh, and that the net result of that is that we're going to have a rise in sea levels uh, that will be significant coming from Greenland and added to other uh, sources of uh, new new water, higher water. We could have cities in the United States engulfed uh, yeah. in, in floods. Climate change from Nixon, Ford, and Reagan, melting Greenland, and... Gurgling Gergen over there at CNN. All of a sudden, he's a he's a climate change guy, a climate uh, climate catastrophe, climate crisis. I think that's what they've settled on more recently. Uh, I, I I pose this to you again. I, I think any fair minded person could ask this question and and would have the same reaction I did to it, which is uh, 
Uh, how how crazy are they allowed to get before we can just tell them that we're not we're not going to listen to this anymore? Cit- cities are going to be underwater. Uh, wh- why would anyone believe that? By the time the cities would actually be underwater, I mean, yeah, in five hundred years, in five thousand years, I don't know, maybe. But then we'll have you know floating floating buildings or something, or you know, or we'll have a way to create giant hair dryers in a thousand years that uh, basically like mop up all the excess moisture. Who knows? You don't know. Maybe my giant hair dryer ideas. Probably about as sound as the science from that movie uh, Armageddon. I don't want to close my eyes. You don't talk about Mark. You saw that one. That's right. The animals, the animal cracker scene. We all remember it. So uh, yeah, man, I look, you know, Gergen's over there. Everyone has to has to march to the same crazy climate uh, tune over there. Oh, the city's under irreversible damage. They were saying this ten years ago. They're saying this ten years before that. How many times do we have to go through a ten year cycle and they're wrong? And even if we did everything that they think they want to do, it wouldn't do anything unless you're going to invade India and China and tell them to stop. Uh, carbonizing. I mean, that's another part of this. The the restriction on wealth creation in the third world that you have to be okay with in order to make a serious dent in CO2 emissions. I mean, to really turn around CO2 emissions, you would have to tell the third world, hey, uh, you're not allowed to go through the same processes of wealth creation and the attendant prosperity for your people that we did in the developed world. Oh, and so they're aware of this. And that's why, guess what? We start doing global Marxism, the redistribution of wealth from the first world as penance, as a as a form of it's like an indulgence back in the day in the Catholic Church. Right. We would pay off the third world because we've gotten so rich putting all this CO2 in the air, which is. Now, I mean, just the, just that they call CO2, which is a naturally occurring gas, which is a small percentage of the uh, the overall atmosphere. I think it's less than I don't want to say what it, it's definitely less than two percent. And I don't want to say what the exact number is off the top of my head because I forget. Producer Mark, tell me how much CO2, what percentage of our atmosphere is, in fact, CO2, if you would, please, because um, I'll lose my train of thought otherwise. But these uh, th- these changes in the designation, the changes in the rhetoric, you know, this is all this is all because they keep getting it wrong and they have to come up with a new this is narrative creation in real time. And I, I just when it comes to individuals changing their behavior, you know, I I am forced by the city of New York. I know you guys get I get so bitter about this, but I hate recycling. I I freaking hate recycling. It's so stupid. It is such a waste of everybody's time. But there I am washing out my milk, my milk carton and like putting it in the recycling bin and blah, 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 blah. By the way, what is the CO2? Seems like less than 1%. That, okay, I said less than two. Yeah, less than 1%. There we go. Thank you, Producer Mark. Less than 1% of the atmosphere. We really think that a, a minor percentage change in less than 1% of the world's atmosphere is worth all of this, all this, uh, you know, hubbub. All this, uh, all this noise from the left. I mean, C- CNN is is like doing the equivalent of reading War and Peace in its entirety on air, except it's about the climate. 
And we are basing this on what exactly? The people that are the most vocal about it won't even change their own behavior. Look at what they do. I think it was recently uh, one of the you know the British royal family, and I, I think all that British royal family stuff is ridiculous. I know people get all oh, but but they're so fancy and they're like a part of the tradition for UK and all this other oh, it's so fa-. no, no, I'm not into it. I don't like it. It's weird. I'm not into monarchies. Um, I'm not into people hiring family members either. But uh, you know, for political from elected office but anyway there's that's a conversation for another time uh the stuff that people like david gergen is saying is, is just manifestly insane but this is what is expected of you this is what you're told to do i will say that there is a there's a we need a climate and maybe this would be the but the problem is if i wrote this book they would say first of all i have to take time off from doing things like this show which i love so that's a, no one has really written on the right and someone's going to send me a link to a book that has 10 Amazon reviews and, and has been read by like 30 people. So please don't do that. Okay, I, I can do an Amazon search too on climate change. No one has written the, equi- the, the, uh, the game-changing conservative uh, perspective on climate change in book form yet. You know, no, we, we, need, we need a... Uh, an inconvenient truth from the right. You know, we need something that becomes a a cultural and political phenomenon that is the argument against this crazy that will reach everyone, that everyone can understand and work with and and rely on for the facts that it presents, but also the argument that it makes. We don't really have that. You know, you you see, uh, here's some examples. You have, uh, you know, uh, Jonah Goldberg with liberal fascism. I mean, that book... All of a sudden, people realize, hold on a second, the fascists were leftists. I mean, history proves this. And yeah, there's National Socialists and people have been aware of this for a while. But that book was a was a conversation changer on that issue. Uh, Ann Coulter, Adios America on immigration, uh, illegal immigration specifically and the wall. That book was a conversation changer. And I've said to you, it's really why Trump became president. So whether you know what a lover or, or don't love her. You guys all know I think she's pretty great, but, you know, Ann Coulter is the single author who is probably most responsible for the rise of Trump to the presidency. And also, whether you love that or not, I leave that to you. Uh, But there are other books that are like this, that are a change. You know, Whitaker Chambers' Witness, that's that's a masterpiece, but that changed national perception about communist infiltration of America. It was real. It was happening. It was systematic. You know, we don't have that for climate change yet, and we need that. I mean, we need someone who goes, look, here are the predictions they've made. Here's all the quotes. Here are the, you know, even when they when they start out, you know, Gergen goes, oh, there's no real separation or science community. Uh, well, except for the 2% of scientists. Well, do 2% of scientists not believe in gravity? Do 2% of scientists uh, not believe that the, the world is round? Because if 2% of scientists think that climate change alarmism is not supported by the science and is, in fact, nuts, shouldn't we do a little bit of investigation into why that is instead of saying, well, we've got, well, we've got 98% or 98 is 90 plus 8, which is 100 except for there's 2, and the 2% or the 100 is the 98. 
I, 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 I'm sorry, but I just will never forget being on panels at CNN. They're like, wait, wait, everybody be quiet. Gurgling Gurgan has some political insights to share. Consensus and Democrats and Reagan, Nixon, Ford. <laughs> so it's like, who is this guy? I know he's worked for every president since Abraham Lincoln, but I, I really just don't. I really just don't think I need to hear this. But we need that, though. And someone has to. Someone has to step up and do it. And and it, preferably, what it really has to be is a uh, a person who understands the messaging and the political fight, and a, a, probably teaming up with somebody who in a way that is undeniable has the background and facility and capacity to understand the full scope of the science. You know, I wish there was a way I could, I could help this come about, but this, this needs to be done. There are trillions of dollars at stake because of this insanity from our left, literally trillions of dollars. And they still tell us all this stuff. They still keep claiming that, if we don't make massive changes to our lifestyles, if we don't do all these things that they're telling us we have to do, um, you know, well, the world's going to end. This is what they're saying. The world is going to end. Unless you believe that Ocasio-Cortez knows how to remake the American economy to save the world and make it better. And if you believe that, well, then you probably deserve to live in the crappy country that she's going to create. You know, that's just, this is, it's a republic if we can keep it. It's a capitalist, prosperous society if we're not too stupid to let it keep doing what it does. But that's, you know, with all these uh, little socialists running around, that's increasingly, uh, that's increasingly a problem. The truth is that these storms that are hitting the Caribbean with this intense magnitude are historic, unprecedented, and these storms are man-made storms. The Virgin Islands was hit by two Category 5 storms only two years ago, um, while President Trump indeed was our president. The people who are most vulnerable to these man-made storms are the ones who, um, in all cases, are not the contributing factors to the carbon emissions that are causing these storms. Um, these storms are being caused in huge part because of um, capital. U.S. North American capital and places like the Virgin Islands and the Bahamas are the ones that are most vulnerable to these things. You see, folks, the developed world is responsible for this. That's what they the developed world is is creating these man-made storms. There is no evidence. It does not exist that any particular storm is man-made. This is a complete fabrication. There is no evidence for this at all. They say that overall global temp overall global temperature is they're talking about a a, a point zero one degree rise over the last couple of years and that's gonna oh now the storms are really crazy there were there have been storms for as long as there have been storm systems okay I mean this is but the people go on TV this was a professor at Emory but she's giving giving away a bit more of the game here which is that this is ultimately about a a global Marxist approach. And this is where the redistribution of wealth comes in, because a, a, a developed economy for the last 150 years, an industrialized economy is inextricably linked, is in fact built upon a foundation of carbon emission. So if you can isolate carbon emission as destroying the planet, 
every more developed wealthy society in the world is going to bear a greater share of that burden and therefore has to pay the equivalent of environmental reparations to the developing world to repair the damage that has been done to the environment by a world where we have smartphones and computers and everyone drives around in a very you know comfortable uh, car with all kinds of electronics that can drive you know for hundreds of thousands of miles pretty much before it really falls apart i mean cars these days one of the problems the car industry has cars can last 20 years easily so you know, but, but to live in the and, and then play people always think of fossil fuels and they think, oh, it goes in the car. Maybe I'll just bicycle to work. Half, half of uh, of oil specifically is used in products, you know, from uh, plastics to petroleum jelly. to So you are buying things all the time that are reliant on fossil fuels in their very creation. Never mind in their transport or their refrigeration or, you know, the guys getting to work. Uh, this is this is an attack on capitalism you have to see it in those terms you have to understand why it is so essential to the left that they can uh, brainwash people and just just bludgeon them into this belief that you know co2 is a global threat and we're all living on borrowed time unless we hand the keys of our economy over to aoc which is a that that's a terrifying thought it should be a terrifying thought for anyone that the people that are pushing this the most, that they, they, they don't know what the heck, they don't know what they're talking about on the science, and they don't understand the impact on the economy. And what's perhaps even more frightening, they don't care. They have a messianic vision of themselves here, that they are saving the planet. And therefore, if you really believe that pushing this climate change nonsense, you're going to save the planet, what would you not be willing to do? This, this, this is the... The the challenge whenever you're dealing with extremism is that the extremist is always able to justify any behavior because they decontextualize their own thoughts and their own actions from reality around them. And they create an alternative reality where whatever they think is necessary must be done because of the threat, whether it's Antifa with fighting against fascism or climate change alarmists with fighting against CO2 in the air. And the rest of us, the, the sane, rational adult world, look at them and say, what is wrong with you people? What, what, do you, what are you not able to understand here? Climate change is a religious belief. I mean, you can go back and do, a, do an anthropological study of civilizations throughout history. And they, they have their, their creation myths and they also have their end of days stories. All of them do. And, you know, this ties deeply into the human psyche as well. You know, we, we want to believe or, you know, we, we, our minds attached to this notion that uh, there could be an end coming because then it makes it feel like we aren't so insignificant because once we're gone, perhaps everything is gone, right? Well, once we're gone, the whole world is going down. No, the world is going to go on and on and on and we will be long since forgotten. Uh, there is a... Uh, a, a solipsism that is also at the heart of the psychology of the climate change alarmists. You know, this this gives them a greater sense, a greater sense of purpose in their day to day. They're fighting against climate change, but also a purpose in the cosmos. Oh, everything is going to end. No, it's not, folks. I'm here to tell you. It's just not. Trump 
and black about him, but it's not color. It's not about color. It's not about color. It's about policy. It's about policy. Protect the U.S. citizen. Protect U.S. citizens. You're a brainwashed. You're a brainwashed. The nonsense is over in the state of New York. He's rude and pathetic. That's true. That's right. I can support who I want to support. This is America. It's freedom. You got the right to do that. I have the right to do this. That's why I do not like white liberals or Democrats. They are the worst on this earth. A white liberal and a Democrat wants to control you. That's what they want to do. They are pathetic. So there you had it in Grand Central right here in New York City, a an African-American uh, Trump 2020 supporter caught in this video exchange with a, a, a Democrat, I believe also African-American Democrat. They're getting into the back and forth over more or less, you know, how, how could you be a how could you be black in this country and support Trump? That's what the Democrat was saying. And, and I, I want to step back for a moment from the 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 specifics of the 2020 election and whether Trump has been good or bad for the black community in this country. I mean, you look at you know, unemployment numbers, you look at overall economic metrics, and those are clearly favorable for Trump, specifically with African-American and Latino communities. Uh, it's, it's always lost in the discussion about the Latino vote and how Trump is such an anti-Latino racist that you had uh, almost 30 percent of Latinos vote for him in the 2016 election. It was, I think, 28 or 29 percent overall. So that's a lot of people when you add it up nationally who are Latino and, and support Trump. Uh, but the the Democrats have to borrow one of their words, normalized what is an inherently, an inherently uh, unethical and, and I would argue irrational point of view. And that is that you, you have, a, there is an acceptable, an acceptable perspective to have based upon one's ethnicity, skin color, national origin, and that that should be uh, replicated throughout society on pain of social uh, ostracism, on, on being pushed out of your community, on being cast out from uh, from whatever you know group you may I mean. They used to call them uh, when I was in college. They called it an affinity group. I don't know if that's still a phrase that's used on college campuses, but an affinity group was you know if you were a member of the Latino coalition or the African American coalition, that was your affinity group on a college campus. You, you are pushed out from that group if you think differently about certain matters. And I do think it's so interesting that it's not even uh, issue by issue. It's not even issue specific. It's you must support a Democrat. Now, we know why. I mean, uh, none of this is is surprising to us. And you will see this be a centerpiece. I mean, yeah, they're going to talk about free this and free that. And uh, they're going to be pushing the socialism that someone else will pay for. And remember, every time socialism has been tried in any country, it's always told to the majority that someone else is going to pay. It's always that, you know, this isn't going to cost you. It's going to cost somebody else, which is why, at least for in a short term sense and in a society where there are enough people who can be fooled, it can be a powerful political appeal. Someone else is going to pay. You're going to get all the free stuff. Someone else will pay for it. Uh, in our country, though, in the 2020 going into 2020, what you're going to see is a a focus on identity politics. That is the 
uh, the strongest it has it has ever been in the sense of a, a negative focus toward the Republican Party. You know, under the Obama administration and, and when President Obama was running, clearly identity politics is very powerful to have. And and, and this was understandable uh, that, you know, as an African-American in this country, the first black president, that's it, it. Look, it is a compelling story. Let's just be honest about it. It is. It's a compelling story. And I can understand why the black community uh reacted in the way that it did not just the first time around but the second time around although the second time around for obama's re-election i do think there's a more of a case he made that okay well but was he a good president i mean forget about the historic nature of this was he a good president you're going to have though all that enthusiasm and energy to vote for obama uh is going to now be turned against trump in the next uh, in this next election cycle and, you know, with, with they, they tried to do enthusiasm for Hillary last time around because people still thought of Trump as a joke. But this isn't Trump as a joke vote for the Democrat. 20, that was 2016. 2020 is going to be Trump is an evil racist like Hitler. Vote for anyone other than him. And if you are a minority and you vote for Trump there, you know, you, you are part of his evil. You are helping to destroy this country and oppress uh, people from within your own your own community of of color. That's that's going to be the narrative storyline. It's going to be this deeply negative uh, approach to all things Trump. And and I would just note that uh, they start with a fallacy here. And the fallacy is the Democrats start with a fallacy that you should think about your relationship to the state. You should think about politics very broadly based upon your skin color first and foremost that that is a determining factor in how you would vote how you think uh how you think of things like as varied as abortion border security health care tax rates foreign policy that skin color uh, should be a defining factor for human beings in how they approach all these different issues I mean, it, it's an astonishingly, in, in my my view, it's an astonishingly uh, destructive approach for this country to our political fabric. I think all this talk about how divisive things are, there there is really, I think you could argue, no area of our politics that is more divisive and largely because of the way it is exploited by the ruling class. There's nothing that is more divisive than uh, racial politics in this country, which is why you know, CNN likes to fan the flames of this literally in the cases of uh, the coverage and the and the enthusiasm and the real encouragement that many CNN reporters had for uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Even when there were ins- instances of it burning down neighborhoods and looting stores, you know, CNN was, oh, look at this. This is this is people speaking out against police oppression and violence. Uh, but but we should never accept that the way that they approach this is okay and moral. We should never accept that the the basic uh, the, the basic approach that Democrats insist on from minorities is you are Asian, you are black, you are Hispanic, you're anything. Therefore, you must vote Democrat. And if you don't, no one wants to hear your reasons. No one wants to have a conversation. You are 
voted out, so to speak. You are cast out from uh, from your community. So damaging, and they do it so frequently that we almost don't notice it anymore. And I'm just I'm imploring you to keep that in your mind as we enter what's going to be the most uh, contentious election. It's not, I'm not saying it's the most important. You know, everyone says no, no. I do believe this will be the most contentious election cycle of my lifetime. You will never see a nastier, more bitterly fought political contest than Trump versus whoever's up against him because they're trying to prop up a whole squad of losers with these de- this Democrat field, most notably Joe Biden. And the only way they really think they're going to win is to just heap so much trash on top of Trump that it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, and one of the ways they're going to try to create that enthusiasm for dumping on Trump is going to be by exploiting racial division and playing to identity politics. Did I hear you correctly say that you have to cut your pills and have to your We can keep that down a little bit. Excuse me, could somebody please silence the crying baby? I know I look like a cuddly grandpa, but I'm trying to spread Marxism here. It's hard work. I get tired. I get grouchy. No, no babies. No little capitalist babies making noise in the background, please. Only little Marxist babies with, you know, hammer and sickle onesies on, please. Bernie Sanders, man. Bernie Sanders still... A top contender for the for the race. It, it, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. You you have to think to yourself what what is this country coming to when someone with so little connection to the reality of our economy and and such a a, a completely inadequate an inadequate understanding an unacceptable understanding of basic you know microeconomics right which is uh, a, a study of the specifics of how economics plays out in transactions and for businesses and you know this is this is the basics of supply and demand uh someone who doesn't understand this at all has has no connection to the realities of how an economy functions he's still a very viable presidential candidate it's it's madness but i you know i, I know that we're still supposed to be focused on the uh, on the gun issue and uh, I, I don't think anything is going to change, although we'll, we'll have my friend uh, David Harsanyi joining here in a second. We'll talk about universal background checks. There is this story that the Odessa shooter got a firearm from a private sale after being denied a firearm through a, a background check. Uh, you know, there, there is there is that story. I, I would just say um, that we are going to eventually reach a point where we've heard every talking point from the democrats so many times that we're we are numb to it and then the question becomes are we going to just say enough is enough we'll, we'll just do something to shut them up or will we be able to tune it out i, I hope it is the, the latter uh, but there are if you're looking at this from the piece by piece perspective gun rights uh you know there's some loosening of of restrictions in texas there are places where you see uh, action being taken at the state level and certainly the dcv heller decision at the supreme court was very helpful to the second amendment at the federal level but it really just kept the second amendment from being eradicated and I, I think people need to remember that dcv heller just meant that you do have the right as a law-abiding citizen to have a firearm in your home 
and that, and that they can't just say no guns for you anywhere because it's a right. Okay, so that's, but if that wasn't a right, then there's no such thing as a second, then the Second Amendment is, is null and void. So it was really taken from life support to, you know, intensive care, but it was definitely a, a uh, minimal, a minimal victory at the corporate level, which is where I do think we have to increasingly uh, devote our attention because, you know, Democrats, Democrats view the culture war and, and really the political war that's going on in this country as an across the board affair. They, they make no distinctions. There, there's no difference to them whether they're pushing for corporate action, political uh, government action. They just want their way. And that's why you, know, you have Walmart and Kroger, for example, who are coming out and saying they no longer want anyone to openly carry in their stores. Now, they have a right to do this, but let's understand what this accomplishes. It accomplishes nothing from the perspective of safety. I mean, there's no such thing as a mass shooter or a criminal of any kind who goes, oh, wow, you mean Walmart would prefer I don't open carry in the store? I guess I'm going to forget about my diabolical shooting plan. That's never going to happen. That, that does not exist. And, uh, you know, you have the establishment of some of these, or rather some of these stores have established new rules where they are limiting law-abiding gun owners in, you know, in their stores, things like open carry. And now I know Walmart is no longer going to sell handgun ammunition and it will not sell, uh, uh, small, I think it's small rifle ammunition or something. They said I, I you know, I'm not even clear on what the what the specifics are of the restriction. But they're restricting ammunition sales now, in response in response to what has happened here. This follows after Dick's Sporting Goods has also dramatically restricted uh, firearms that will be sold. And Dick's Sporting Goods uh, did pretty well sales wise. I think the stock is actually up. So it used to be a it used to at least be the perception that companies that take action based upon the outrage mob will suffer the consequences when normal Americans uh, express their displeasure with them, don't shop. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. There's been a shift. You see this with Nike and Colin Kaepernick. And it's a different issue than the gun issue, but they've gone very deep on the social justice side of things very publicly. And the fact of the matter is that if you're not a social justice warrior, are you not going to buy your dry fit running shorts from Nike now because of Kaepernick? The answer, let, let's be honest, folks. The answer is probably that, no, you're still going to buy it. And if you are a Walmart customer now because you can't get your ammo there, are you not going to go buy your ammunition from Walmart? I mean, or, sorry, you're not going to go buy your milk, forget your ammunition. You can go buy your socks from Walmart. Um, I think the answer there, once again, is probably, nope, you're still going to go. And so the the risk tolerance the corporate calculation has shifted now and this is what this is the this is the type of incrementalism that the left is trying to accomplish with the gun issue but now the corporate calculation is look the the pro-gun people are still going to shop in our store if we just say look can we you know we, we don't want any part we're not taking a position on it we just don't want any part of this we're not going to sell ammunition or we're not going to sell handguns or whatever it may be. And the anti-gun people will leave us alone. So this then becomes the safer option for them, even for a place like Walmart that I th that I believe is is generally associated, at least in the minds of 
people on the coasts with more red state and rural areas. Now, is that not that's probably not fair. Walmart's really just the biggest retailer. It's very big in some inner city uh, locations. And I understand that. But people think of Walmart as, you know, a very all American store that serves all kinds of communities. But especially in a lot of rural communities, it's a it's almost a superstore where you get all your stuff there. They're not going to sell guns. So the these companies now are, are changing their uh, they're changing their risk parameters. And it's not necessarily that they want to be woke. They just don't want to get attacked by woke. And they feel like our side of this equation is less mobilized against them. You know, we, or we won't mobilize against them just because they don't want to get in the middle of this. And then, of course, you have the other side of or you have the, the additional side of this where, you know, San Francisco is now declaring the NRA a, a domestic terrorist organization. I mean, people have completely lost their minds. Um, they uh, there's so much there's so much ignorance on the issue of gun culture, the Second Amendment in this country. And I'm I'm right in the midst of it here in, in a place like New York City, where if I, I can tell you this, if I now I, I couldn't legally open carry in new york uh from my understanding of new york laws under any circumstances you can conceal carry a handgun if you get a very tough to get permit and it's really hard um but let's just say if i could open carry in new york if they changed the law and i walked people would look at me like i was a threat and it might actually lead to an incident i mean somebody might assume that i would have ill intent if i were open carrying in this city and they didn't think that i was a law enforcement officer of some kind so you know, the, the, the cultural changes, the corporate changes, even though I don't think there are any massive legal changes coming to the Second Amendment and to the right to bear arms, there's all this other stuff, and the left is achieving that. We'll get more into this uh, in just a moment. Mr. Vice President, can you define an assault rifle, assault weapon? Yeah, what about it? What is it? You don't know when you see it. You don't define what an assault weapon is. Yeah. Well, the assault weapons is where you can semi-automatic as well as automatic. And also when you put in the um, uh, high, high, high capacity on those. What is an assault weapon? Well, I, I would say the AR-15 definitely qualifies. But what is an assault weapon? Can you define what an assault weapon is? I think so. We, we got an interview. What is an assault weapon? I think you know what it is. It's the weapon that killed... An assault weapon is the weapon that killed nine people. Nine people in Dayton in 30 seconds. Can you define an assault weapon? I just want him to answer what an assault weapon is. Can you define what an assault weapon is? I certainly can. We've already defined in our legislation. Can you define it? Can you define it? Uh, they're having some trouble there defining what an assault weapon is, which is not surprising, but they still want to ban them. Our friend David Harsanyi joins now. He's the author of First Freedom, A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun, an excellent book on uh, the history of guns in this country. And also he's a senior editor at The Federalist, a very excellent site. Mr. Harsanyi, great to have you back, sir. Good to be here. Thanks. All right. So let's, let's start with this. There seems to now just be this uh, this push among particularly among the journos, but Democrats too, Democrat lawmakers, that, that the specifics don't really matter. It, you know, blah, 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 assault rifle, assault, you know, schmeifle. It, it's we just need to ban the guns to stop the violence. Uh, is this a change in anything you think? Is, is this going to move the ball for them? Uh, no, 
It's not not right now. I, I think their plan is long term. You know, as you just saw, people can't define assault weapons, and that's, I think, in a way, on purpose. I mean, you want to have this elastic word that can mean anything you want it to mean, so it becomes something that's just the bad thing. You know, it's an evil thing to have an assault weapon. And uh, what do they mean? Well, basically, it's just about aesthetics right now, and, it, and, and it's an incremental way to get to every semi-automatic weapon, which is what I think they really want to ban and, or, or at least very, very strictly restrict, you know? Let's dig into one part of this, because the CNN, I think, initially broke the story on this, but uh, we're, we're being told now that the shooter in Odessa bought the gun he failed a background check to buy a firearm and then went and bought the gun in a in a private sale i don't know i don't i haven't seen more specifics if you have more specifics by all means let us know Uh, but this is quite obviously going to turn into a a major data point that is used for why we need universal background checks now david to a lot of people it sounds like well we already have background checks why not have universal background checks? I pose that I, I have my own version, but I want to hear the Harsani version. Well, I, I just want to say I saw that story as well. But there are really very little specifics. But whatever happened there, he broke the law. He's not supposed to have a, a weapon and through a private sale either. So you know, I'm I'm opposed to universal background checks because I think they will lead to a de- database, national database of people. I don't understand how else that can be done and i also think it will inhibit depending on how it's done but mo- most of these bills will inhibit people from being able to lend their gun to someone to give their gun to their to their relative or or good friend if they want to without going through some kind of government check and i just don't i just don't think that comports with the second amendment and the freedom of of owning a firearm. I think that the laws that we have on the books already are enough to stop most of these shooters. You're never going to stop all of them. And even if the case here was that he went through a private sale, it's an incredibly rare event. I can't think of another one of these mass shootings, high-profile mass shootings, that, that happened in that way. I can think of a few right off the bat that uh, could have been stopped by just following the laws that we already have. And so, but if this was a private sale and that's a way of, of getting around, you know, people are going to say, well, why, why can't we just require someone to go in and, and have the background check done at a federal firearms license, you know, or a federal firearms licensee? Uh, why not just go through that process? You said because essentially a registry and, and it's just unconstitutional. Is there anything else? Well, I mean, we, you know, it's already illegal to to sell to someone who shouldn't have a gun, A, to, to buy someone a gun, uh, you know, to buy, uh, I'm, the, the phrase is escaping me, but to buy a gun for someone who's... Straw purchase. Yeah, straw purchase of a gun. And uh, so I'm not sure what this does other than stop people who are law-abiding citizens from just, you know, gi- you know, giving their gun to their relative or selling their gun to someone they know. If you're selling guns all the time, you have to have a, you have to have a license to do it. It's that simple. Is there... Well, what's, your, what's, your, what's your idea? Why, why do you oppose it? Why do I? I mean, I, I think that they're definitely going to create a registry. <laughs> so that's, I think, the moment that you have every, every single gun transaction that goes on across the country, they're going to say, okay, well, now we have a record of every gun transaction that's occurring. And, but, I mean, they already do have a lot of those guns. Um, but I also think then you start to get into this area of, well, if I, if I do give, you know, am I now breaking the law if I give a gun to somebody to go sporting clay shooting and I haven't gone to a federal firearms licensee and that person for some reason gets stopped and checked by a state trooper or whatever, am I going to prison now for that? I mean, I'd want to know. You see, that's exactly what they want. They want to make it harder. It's like in Maryland near D.C. where I live. 
getting a gun is incredibly difficult. That's what they want to do. They just want to make it more and more difficult when we all know, as this shooter and every other shooter does, they ignore those laws anyway and do whatever they like. Is, is anything going to, you know, I feel like part of my, my frustration here is that I come on radio and it's, it's the same, the liberals make the same arguments about this after every mass shooting. There's never, you know, they usually completely ignore, well, what you want to do wouldn't have even stopped the shooting you're talking about. It's a very small percentage, mass shootings overall, of gun violence in the country, which is over 90% from handguns and crime-related, especially drug and gang-related. But why do they just think they're going to beat us into submission with the repetition? Is that the plan? What do you think the plan is? Well, I think that that... that AR-15s, because they're used often by these deranged psychopaths, is, is an easy way to scaremonger people about guns. The truth of the matter is, like you just mentioned, uh, all, all rifles are, I think, account for a very small percent. You know, I don't know the exact thing, 700 of all the uh, gun homicides last year, something like that. And within that, that's not even AR-15s. You know, that's just rifles in general. More people are kicked to death. More people are punched to death. More people are, are killed with blunt objects and knives. But it's an easy way to scare people because of the aesthetics of the gun and, and, and of the horrible things that they're used for. But um, in the end, as far as gun violence goes, it won't do much. My, my theory is, and I don't think this is, you know, some, some huge, this will not surprise you. I just think this is incrementalism. They latch on to whatever they can, whatever they think is popular. You see the poll numbers on this stuff, and that's what they want to do. Buybacks, uh, assault weapon bans, and universal backs. Right. And, and buybacks aren't really, I mean, that's a very gentle way of saying, you're going to give us your gun or you're going to prison. That's a, yeah, it's called a lie. It's not a buyback because you never owned it in the first place. It's, it's confiscation. First gun confiscation plan since, as I wrote in a column today, since Lexington and Concord. So uh, never, never, not in the 30s or any other time has the government passed a law that, that meant confiscating the guns of law-abiding citizens, making millions of people into criminals instantaneous. I mean, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut, I think I saw an assessment years ago, and they banned a lot of semi-automatic rifles at the state level. They expect that there are hundreds of thousands of people, a couple hundred thousand, I think was the number 200 or maybe 150,000 that just didn't comply. (laughs) So technically those people are all now in the state of Connecticut felons, but they don't go door to door quite Yeah, they've had soft bans elsewhere, you know, of assault weapons and people don't come and hand them in. I mean, you're going to have to go get them at some point. Yeah, absolutely. First Freedom, a ride through America's enduring history with the gun. David Harsanyi is the author. Check out his columns at The Federalist. David, always appreciate you making time for us, sir. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Team, we'll be right back. Sorry we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field. And sir. All right, so uh, you remember that, right? That was Mary Ann Williamson's big moment. And I, I have a, I wouldn't quite say a soft spot, but I have a familiarity with Ms. Williamson because she was uh, on the episode of the Bill Maher show with me. Um, but uh, you'll, re- you'll recall that she had that moment, and then she talked about the dark psychic force that Donald Trump has harnessed uh, to you know, do bad things to America. Here's the thing about Marianne Williamson. She has unexpectedly 
stumbled upon a very important underlying truth about the left that she, before running for president, was apparently not familiar with. And that is uh, that the left is really mean and that they will lie about you. <laughs> they, they will lie and they're very mean. I thought this was particularly interesting. This was from a, a uh, New York, an interview in The New Yorker with David Remnick. She said, quote, I know this sounds naive. I didn't think the left was so mean. I didn't think the left lied like this. I thought the right did that. I thought we were better. I, I, there's, a, there's a real insight here, folks. I know so many liberals who really do think, really do believe uh, that their side is, where, is for all the nice people. It's not even that their side is right, that their side is smarter. They, they believe that too. But that the nice people are on their side. I mean, I can just tell you, and, and I'm, I'm giving this to you as objectively as I possibly can. Uh, you know, look, the left, for example, I mean, I can tell you this, and some of you are going to get annoyed at me for saying it, but you know, the left is probably because they control the platforms and have take far more at bats than we do. But they're better at creative than we are, meaning, you know, they, they dominate Hollywood. They dominate TV shows. They do all this stuff and they have just more people in the game. Do I think conservatives could uh, could make better shows? Of course. But if we're just going to look at the scoreboard, they're dominating us in those areas. And if it comes to if it comes down to making entertaining, uh, you know, fictional content, the left, generally speaking, uh, manages to just do a do a good job on the creative um and uh, you can argue with me about whether that's entirely because they control the platforms and or if it's just a function of that's the way their minds think and they're more you know they're more willing to do the sex drugs and rock and roll thing than conservatives are i think that's one way to you know with the left running things you get a lot of you know a lot of a lot of booze boobs and violence you know when it comes to the creative so if you like that or not i leave that to you um but if you're talking about what goes on on the right, uh, our people are nicer, nicer than their people are in the media. I'm talking. I'm not saying overall. I can't. I can't say. I mean, in the media, though, conservatives that I come across in news media are by a by a factor I'd say of three to one. You know, there are three nice conservatives for every nice liberal I come across. Maybe it's more like five to one. There are really, really nasty people on the left. Really nasty. Uh, that, and you see this in some of these organizations. I mean, you see this with Media Matters. A, as scummy an outfit as exists in the media landscape. Gawker, very left-wing, disgusting, fortunately now defunct, but a horrible organization. Ruined people, destroyed reputations, and took real glee in it. Young Turks, with that psychopath who had the... Total meltdown about Dan Crenshaw. Guys, that guy's horrible. He's an unethical, stupid, bad person. There, there's a lot of that, unfortunately, in left-wing media. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist on the right, but for whatever reason, it is elevated on the left. I mean, you have these people, you know, Keith Olbermann, here's a perfect example, was universally known as a mean person, as a bad guy. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are others that I could, I could, talk about as well you know jake tapper universally by those at least who've ever dealt with him knows is one of the most thin-skinned human beings you will ever come across 
Uh, and yet, you know, we're all supposed to be like, oh, well, that's, you know, because he plays a news anchor on TV. We're all supposed to think that he's got gravitas. Marianne Williamson has found out the hard way that the left is really mean. They're just mean. Uh, they're coming after her. I mean, she's she says that they falsely accused her of having told AIDS patients not to take their medicines. She's they say that she they falsely told her that lovelessness causes disease and that love is enough to cure their diseases. Uh, you know, they say that they, that she has been smeared by her own side in a way that shows a real viciousness. Now, I know a lot of you like Buck, the crazy crystal lady. What do we care? I'm just saying I think that her awakening to her own side is something that we need to encourage more. We need to encourage more of this to happen because libs are really mean. There, there's a nat because of the self-righteousness and the emotionalism and the sense that this isn't a difference in politics is a difference between the good people and the bad people. Uh, they have no problem. They have no compunction uh, watching the other side get destroyed. And, and then that reminds me of this guy, Ben Penn. And uh, the story that he wrote about Leif Olson got him fired from the Department of Labor. And now it, it, it to any person with basic reading comprehension skills. Leif Olson did nothing wrong. It was a joke. He did not cross any lines. He is not an anti-Semite. He was not being anti-Semitic. And this guy lost his job. And you know what? Uh, the Department of Labor has even now said, as far as I understand it, that they agree that, you know, he didn't actually cross any lines, uh, didn't do anything wrong. Bloomberg is standing behind the report. Better to be a party to a falsehood, better to be wrong than to have to admit that they ran a hit piece that was fake news and deal with the blow to the organization's credibility that would come from that. But you know, it's a it's a terrible thing to do. I would. I would not sleep at night if I had gotten somebody fired from their job in the government just because I felt like getting some clicks for a website and I and I lied about a person and ruined their reputation to do it. I would not I would not be able to handle that. Left is fine with it. Ben Penn hasn't apologized. Bloomberg hasn't apologized. You know, look at the way that, you know, they they talk about it. in the gun debate. We say things like. Oh, they don't understand. You know, they don't understand what they're talking about. Their ideas are wrong. Their ideas are bad. What do they say to us? Oh, you don't care about dead children. You don't care about stopping mass shootings and the horrible violence from it. Can they really believe that about their fellow Americans? I think, unfortunately, the answer is yes. I think, unfortunately, there is so much. Uh, there has been so much viciousness on the left for so long that they, they can't even see it for what it is. They can't even tell. And it has been incubated on the left. So now we're dealing with the consequences of it. But yeah, too mean to Marianne, the crystal lady, who says that she doesn't even ever use crystals. So that's an unfair smear. But comes from the left, folks. They're very mean. Aftermath of these hearings, I believe that Christine's testimony brought about more good than the harm misogynist Republicans caused by allowing Kavanaugh on the court. We were going to have a conservative. Elections have consequences. But he will always have an asterisk next to his name. When he takes a scalpel to Roe v. Wade, we will know who he is. We know his character and we know what motivates him. And that is important. It is important that we know. And that was part of what motivated Christine. That is Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer 
Deborah Katz telling you what we have known all along. And that is the motivation. Now, she, she said motivated in part, I would say motivated almost entirely by, and the only part of that that you could add into the mix would be that she was motivated almost entirely by politics, but then also the desire to be viewed among her uh, fellow supporters of the hideous regime of abortion in this country to be seen as a hero, to be on the cover of magazines, which she was put on. I mean, that, that's what ended up happening. Uh, and, and this is a this is a frustration because yet again, it, it reminds me of the Clinton Foundation situation where I would go on uh, CNN and say, we all understand that the Clinton Foundation is really a front for laundering money to the Clintons to buy access and and contact with them. Right. That this isn't really about charity, that the Clintons don't give a crap about charity. We all know that. Right. And at CNN, they'd all they'd all pretend to be very, very stupid when I would have this conversation with some of their anchors and, and pundits on the other side. Well, what do you mean? The Clintons, they're just doing good charity work. That's what there's no there's no other motive. And I said, OK, well, the real test of this will be. Once it's clear that Hillary Clinton is not going to be president of the United States, do the donations dry up? Because if it's about charity, then it shouldn't matter at all. And as we saw, not only did, did the donations to the Clinton Foundation dry up, they, they fell off a cliff and they just shut down whole sectors of the Clinton. When was the last time you heard about the Clinton Foundation at all in the news? Well, they're trying to cover up at some level there. They don't have shame, but try to cover up the uh blatant nature of the pay-to-play scam that they were running. Why do I bring this up in the context of Blasey Ford? A similar circumstance uh, took place during the whole character assassination attempt of Brett Kavanaugh, which was still one of the most horrific things that I have ever watched in, in a political arena on TV. I think it actually, is, if we're talking just politics, it was the ugliest political thing I have ever seen on TV was the uh, the ritualized and sadistic psychological torture that Kavanaugh was subjected to for allegations that were clearly false to anyone who's not a liar or a moron. Uh, allegations that had no evidence to back them up, no substance in reality uh, whatsoever. Uh, but I remember when that was happening, and you'll remember this too, that you had all these journalists that were, would say that this became a common talking point. Oh, but, but why would she lie? She, would, she has no reason to lie. And they would say this, to which many of us would point out, other than being written about in the history books forever as somebody who saved, perhaps, a woman's, a woman's right to choose, or as was said by Deborah Katz here, at least will always have cast a uh, cast an aspersion created a a question mark or an asterisk or whatever they want to say around any decision involving judge brett kavanaugh just to create the the basis for a multi-generational smear also knowing that the left-wing dominance in media and in the academy will mean that plazi ford give it 10 years she's going to be the the hero of the narrative for all leftists for and they're going to teach us in schools uh, just like you know you always will hear that Clarence Thomas is the bad guy and Anita Hill is a hero 
You know, Anita Hill has Kerry Washington player in the HBO movie and defending women and all this stuff. And no one even really knows who gets all excited about it now. The subject matter in any detail of those allegations. They just know Anita Hill was the hero, the heroine, and Clarence Thomas was the bad guy. The bad guy because he's a conservative. And they want to make that the story as well with Kavanaugh and with Blasey Ford. They will try. I would just note that the media pretended to be complete, a bunch of morons on the issue of why would why would Blasey Ford do this? Why would she come forward and lie, which is what she did about somebody to ruin his reputation, to defame him in front of the whole nation? Uh, why put herself through this? And it's because she got to be the center of attention. She was considered a hero by everybody who is on the left, everyone who doesn't like Kavanaugh. Uh, any anyone who's ever had an abortion in the country and still believes in abortion as a sacred right of of womanhood, which is a, a pretty terrifying notion, but that's a very widely held one. They thought that Blasey Ford was being a hero. So it was obvious. I mean, the point is, it was obvious why she would do this. Why would she lie? I got a lot of reasons why she'd lie. But all the journalists go, oh, I don't know why she'd lie. You know, she's telling the truth. You no, know, she has no reason to lie. That's what they would always say. No reason to lie. Well, here's her lawyer giving you at least one reason now that the the battle is is over, or at least the uh, the initial phase of it is over, and it's to create a smear of Kavanaugh in case he is part of overturning Roe v. Wade, or in case there's any decision that comes down involving Judge Brett Kavanaugh that the left doesn't like. They'll just say, "Oh, you mean Kavanaugh, the the sexual assaulter, Kavanaugh, the would be rapist?" That's what they're going to do. Uh, and, and I just feel that there should be so much more accountability for the, the cowardly and idiotic journalists out there who in, in moments where character would really matter, they feign or some of them perhaps are just this stupid, but most of them just feign stupidity because it is politically more convenient for them in the moment. All of a sudden they can't figure out what any normal human being paying attention to any situation like this would be able to figure out. Why would a person come forward like this? Oh, because it's been so hard for Anita Hill since she came forward. Uh, she's been treated so poorly by, by the press and by the establishment. No, she's gotten very cushy jobs. HBO show made or HBO movie made about her where she's the heroine. And the same thing's going to happen with Blasey Ford. And keep in mind that they've really just pushed away the other two I, I can't even remember Swetnick was the third I can't remember the name of the second accuser an accuser who came forward despite not even being able by her own by her own admission being able to remember on her own whether Kavanaugh did anything to her you know she came forward and, and made this allegation against him and then in the third instance uh, with Swetnick a, a crazy person who anyone could see who had their eyes open and was being honest, was just a liar. Uh, Bl Blasey Ford was a, a moderately, a mildly convincing liar, meaning she was still clearly lying, but you know, there, was a, there was a little, she was better coached, there was a little bit more preparation in it. It, was, it sounded more plausible. Uh, Swetnick came after Supreme Court judge, uh, a Supreme Court justice now, would be Supreme Court justice, of course, with the help of Michael Avenatti, who can it get scummier i mean the way that that guy goes after people on twitter if you haven't seen it is is hilarious gone after some friends of mine 
they're not, you know, you're not famous enough, basically, is what he likes to say to people. I mean, Avenatti is famous in almost the way that, you know, Anthony Weiner is famous for, for being a disgusting creep, right? I mean, the, they're, they're famous for being bad people. They're not, they're not famous <laughs> because everyone loves them. So, you know, that's a distinction, I think, worth keeping in mind. Uh, but yeah, Christine Blasey Ford, uh, her lawyers come out and told us what, what I knew, what you knew all along, but now, now we have greater confirmation. And the people that pretended they could not figure this out at the time, I do think that there should be accountability. I, I think we should bring them forward in the press and say, excuse me, I'm just wondering, did, were you really unable to figure out what the motivations here were? Now, of course, we, we, we know that they would lie about it, but I, I would like to see them lie again the American people. I mean, many of the worst people you come across in any prominent public role are journalists, and this is just another another example of that. Over the last, I'd say, 15, 20 years, we've seen this increasing uh, what many people call tribalism. And basically, you can sum that up with contempt for other people's views and saying, I disagree with you, and by the way, you're wrong about everything. I think in the past we had elections and yeah, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty raucous and they're pretty rough and tumble and sometimes they're not civil, but welcome to democracy. But in the old days, the old days being when I didn't have this color hair, uh, in the old days when the election was over, we buried the hatchet and we got down to governing. It's like today, all we stay in is locked in this election cycle and we're constantly finding reasons not to cooperate. And no democracy can survive that sort of a, a style. It just won't work. General Mattis there speaking to Christiane Amanpour, who has the fanciest accent of any human being ever in the history of the world. It's really her calling card. Uh, I don't think that Mattis's uh, political analysis here is, is especially astute. And I know I've been, I wouldn't even say I'm critical of General Mattis. I'm just, I just have questions. I've been asking those questions. I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm uh, uh, bashing Mattis by any stretch. He's clearly very, very well respected throughout the military. I should, when I say clearly, it's really what the journalists who cover the Pentagon and, you know, that we go by what they say. I mean, I don't know. I haven't really spoken to that many rank and file soldiers about what they think of Mattis. They might say he's fantastic. They might say that. You know, uh, I can tell you a lot of people thought that uh, General Petraeus was kind of a jerk. <laughs> so and we were always told, oh, he's a genius. He's going to save. A... Well, I mean, he got things right in Iraq when he was in command. Didn't exactly uh, get things right in Afghanistan, but that never really gets talked about. Uh, General General Mattister, though, saying that we used to get to the, the business of, of governing. Really? I, I think you could argue that that has been. Uh, in in recent memory, that has been the exception more than the. It certainly wasn't the case under the uh, the Bush administration, where I, I have not forgotten that there were efforts, real efforts, to uh, try to get criminal charges brought against someone like Dick Cheney, uh, where there was a special counsel about a non-event leak of a non-event person's name, and then that led to the charges against. Uh, Scooter Libby, uh, there were it was it was complete political trench warfare in the Bush years. And that was when we were under attack by radical Islam and the global jihad. We were united for about six months after 9-11 as a country. And then it very quickly turned into 
anything to destroy Bush. Bush is Hitler. I was in college and there were leftists on my campus and in the area of, of Amherst College who were making the, the case that they thought that Bush was basically a fascist along the lines of uh, along the lines of Hitler. You know, that Bush Bush had fascistic ten just like, you know, and they would say that Cheney was really running the country and that Halliburton was going to round us all up any day now. I mean, they'd say crazy stuff. So was Mattis not really around for that? Was Mattis not not a part of that situation? I, I would have to wonder. Uh, during the Clinton years, when there was a very acrimonious impeachment fight, you know, when when were we getting down to the business of governing? I, I look, I will tell you, I saw my friend Ben Dominich tweeted this out today and he's read Mattis's book. I haven't yet. I just told you what others tend not to say, which is that these books are a waste of time. They're boring. They're often um, either money grabs or just self-aggrandizing pedestal creation for the former government officials. You know, the, there was a time when the expectation was you served in the government and you just went into private life afterwards. And that was that you, know, you didn't need to create a, a post governmental cult around oneself. You know, there was a time when that was uh, the norm. And, and, and I really mean that, right? We, we have seen, and you can measure this, unlike Matt is saying that politics used to be much more civil. And I'm not even talking about, you know, civil, like meaning the Civil War when we were literally killing our fellow Americans over our political, uh, political differences. So to the tune of hundreds of thousands of us. Uh, I, I don't think he, I don't think his politics is very astute. I think that the or his analysis, I should say, is very astute. And then Ben Dominich was saying uh, that the Mattis book is just boring, which doesn't surprise doesn't surprise me at all. And, and given that I already know that without reading it um, and also, you know, how much work it would really as somebody who's in the process of writing a draft of a book right now, how much work, it, how much time it really takes these uh, individuals who have been used to having staffs do a lot of work for them and people writing speeches for them and doing all these things. They're going to, they're going to sit at a computer and at a, I was going to say a typewriter. That's really kicking it old school. Producer Mark, have you ever even used a typewriter? You know, I've never even touched a key on a typewriter, only keyboards. I haven't used one, but I've seen one and like touched the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's know. not a dinosaur. Like, of course you've probably seen one, but I mean, have you ever actually tried to type with one? No. Yeah. I had computer class in elementary school. Yeah, I did too. I remember, and I remember thinking that this. I know I was really smart and forward leaning in elementary school, in that I was like uh, writing things out by hand is obviously way smarter and better. So this computer thing is ridiculous. Turns out that we were all going to have to worry about carpal tunnel syndrome for the rest of our adult lives pretty soon. So, so Mattis's book is is pretty boring. Uh, but when he says that, uh, based on Ben Dominich's assessment, which I trust, I haven't read it yet myself, but I kind of know. It's like when you see a movie trailer, you know, you know if it's good or not. You don't really, you know, yeah, technically you should see the movie, but yeah, you know, eh, you usually know. Speaking of which, the, uh, the I love this, on Rotten Tomatoes, I told you all to go and see Dave Chappelle's uh, comedy special. Um, I told you to go check it out, and just to give you a sense of what the... Score ratings were earlier today on Rotten Tomatoes. Sticks and Stones on Rotten Tomatoes has a uh, a tomato meter score based on critics' reviews 
of 29% positive. So that's, that's, that's a very low critic score. Who wants to guess? Producer Mark, what percentage of the 3,753 people who rated on Rotten Tomatoes uh, liked Sticks and Stones, the Dave Chappelle comedy special I told you about? What's the percentage? 82. 99. Wow. Yeah. So everybody who saw this thing, who is a viewer, thought it was hilarious. And seven out of ten critics who reviewed it and review things officially for their livelihoods uh, thought it was bad. This is this is a a microcosm of what woke uh, woke culture does to you. Being woke, being a social justice warrior, you are not allowed to find funny things funny anymore. You are not allowed to laugh at anything other than white Christian males uh, and, and mockery of them. You know, that that's it. Anything. If you mock anybody else, you can't make jokes. You can't make jokes about women. You can't make jokes about any particular ethnic group. Anything else. You are going to get slammed by the social justice left. We know that the good news is that people like what they like. And I'm happy to see that the public at large left, right and everything, everything uh, all together. Everyone thinks that Sticks and Stones by Dave Chappelle is hilarious. Because it is hilarious. We can't let this go on. They were taking out $500 billion a year out of this country, including intellectual property theft, which was rampant. So uh, our farmers will be helped. Uh, Nobody that we've done more for than our farmers. Uh, And they understand you have to win the war with. This is a, a trade war, trade battle. You can call it anything you want. But and this should have been done by presidents before me and not just President Obama. This should have been done by President Bush and President Clinton. This should have been done a long time ago. China has been absolutely the World Trade Organization has been a disaster for the United States. China has taken advantage of it and us. And that's not happening anymore. But the farmers have been taken care of 16 billion dollars and 12 billion dollars each year. Okay. Everything that Trump just said there about the uh, U.S. posture toward China under his administration, everything he said there is true. Previous administrations should have dealt with this and didn't. China is ripping us off, is playing dirty. The World Trade Organization should never have let China in, and it has been a disaster. Everything he's saying there is true, and we are supposed to skip past all of that in our assessment of this president as... It relates to trade and just more generally, I mean, you had Bernie Sanders today saying probably the most dangerous president in the history of presidents. Uh, Well, why is it that this president is supposed to be so dangerous is the only one who understands what we're really dealing with when it comes to China? Why did it come to why, Why did it fall on this president to have to be the one who's willing to deal with this? willing to be in a in a position where he'll take the political heat you know what was the last time you can think of any uh, of any politician who was doing something that he was right he knew he was right he was paying a political price and he said i know i'm going to pay a political price for this anyway but i want to do it and i'm not saying it never happens but that kind of leadership is rare it is not the norm much more common for people to say well what's the most what is the most popular thing i thing i can do here the thing that will most uh most likely result in my continued uh continuation in power my continued ability to 
hold the office I hold. And they do that thing. And that's not what Trump is doing on China. Now, I, I do think that because of the focus on getting uh, on getting a trade deal done, or at least on continuing to wage the trade war, the White House hasn't been as vocal and Trump hasn't been as vocal in support of the protesters in Hong Kong as, as I would like. But I, I understand he's trying to balance those two very important things. And ultimately for us, here's the reality. A trade war is more important than what's going on in Hong Kong. It might sound harsh, but that's true. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. I'm still very partial to the dubstep roll call. I always will be. I don't know why. I think it gets me the most fired up of our various roll call intros. Uh, So, some fun news for all of you. As of... Uh, end of this month, the show is going to be available via podcast earlier on in the day. We're hoping by 3 p.m. Eastern. So you can start to get this thing in your daily routine in time to drive home, in time for your commute or uh, prepping dinner. You no longer have to wait for the podcast until late at night uh, or 9 p.m. Eastern, which is what it had been until pretty recently uh facebook.com slash buck sexton that's how we uh, get this party started uh let's get to it owen buck listening to yesterday's podcast and you asked about a movie i think you were thinking of army of darkness ding 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 you are correct sir i was thinking about army of darkness and I've never, I've still never seen it. Producer Mark, you can just, you can just give me the nod here. Did you ever see Army of Darkness? No. He doesn't, he doesn't mess with that childish nonsense. Producer Mark only, he only sticks to the classics. Uh, William, next up here. I think you're missing the point about Sleepy Joe. I think the reason he is still topping the polls is simple. The Democratic voters are not as crazy left as the party thinks they are. So the average Dem won't vote for Trump, but also doesn't want to vote for a radical leftist. So Joe, with all of his false gaffes and senior moments, looks like the most sane person to them. Shields high. Uh, That is William. I mean, you're certainly correct from the perspective of why Joe Biden has the support that he does up to this point, even though it is quite clear that Biden is not a. Uh, really a a marquee, a first-tier national-level politician. And it is because he does have the name recognition thanks to his eight years as Obama's vice president. And he seems like a a dogmatic but not insane Democrat. That's That's the best thing you could say for Joe Biden. Now he's also very old. He seems like he gets lost a lot and there's all of that stuff. But there we have it. Uh... Jason, all right, Buck, I've got to say, I find it pretty disgraceful that Beto would be running on the backs of those killed in El Paso and elsewhere. He's using the slaughter of innocents to try and keep himself in the race for the presidency. Shame on him. And the sooner he drops out, the better it would be 
for the nation. I saw a poll, Jason. It was pretty fantastic. It was my favorite poll that I've seen in quite a while because the poll had Beto at a whopping uh, 0% nationally at this point. Now, I, I don't know if that's an accurate poll or not, but I did see it, and it feels like Beto... Beto is a zero, so he should be at zero. Fuck, why are you so mean? I'm totally just singing this song to your girlfriend because I want to be her friend. I'm not I'm not that guy at the frat party with a guitar who's just pretending to be your girlfriend's friend but, like, has other things in mind. I'm not that guy, Buck. I'd give myself an A. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He would always give himself an A. But he's a zero. Zero for Beto. Susan. There we go. Uh, hey, before I started my business, I had a bumper sticker that read, Halt Climate Change. I like 70 and sunny. Before that, I worked for the government going to public sector businesses. And I had another bumper sticker that read, Government, adult supervision required. Because of a union flap, we could have any bumper stickers we wanted. I also copied a bumper sticker I saw. Annoy a liberal, work, succeed, be happy. I got the most positive comments on that one. Love the show. Shields high. Uh, I mean, I used to have a mug with Rumsfeld on it back in the day. I had a lot of right-wing kitsch, I think you could say. I had a lot of uh, collectibles and, and Bush GWAT. I was big into the GWAT, the Global War on Terror. I had a lot of GWAT memorabilia. Um, I don't really have much of it anymore. I, I've got. I've reached the point now where all my old CIA stuff, all my my uh, stuff from countries all over the world, and photos of me, you know, briefing the president and doing other cool stuff. That's all just like locked away in a closet now. I don't really. I don't know. I used to have a little, almost like a a shrine to government service in my very small apartment, but now it's. It's an under-the-bed-in-a-plastic-Tupperware-bin kind of thing shrine. So, yeah, I'm not as, I'm not as uh, into the, the remembrance of those government days. C.K. Hey, Buck, you mentioned General Mattis saying he had 7,000 books and I read them all. Wasn't sure if you meant you didn't think he could have read that many. My, my love of books is second only to my love of Dalmatians. I don't know, C.K., that's already, that's strike one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dalmatians are fine. They're very pretty. If you like dogs that don't necessarily have the Swedish temperament. Uh, I'm just I'm going to lose. A, I'm going to lose a listener here. I'm kidding. CK. I'm kidding. Dalmatians are great. And I'm guessing I have thousands of books myself. She writes. I'm kind of afraid to attempt to count them with bookcases in almost every room in my house, including the garage and the basement. Finding books for 10 cents at a thrift shop is like hitting the lottery for me. If I read approximately 100 books a year. It seems quite possible for General Mattis to have read 7,000 over the course of his life so far. Goodreads is a fun app to keep track of what you've read. Even if I live to 100, there'll still be books awaiting in my shelves. Fill your house with stacks of books and all the crannies and all the nooks. Dr. Seuss, words of wisdom. Love your show, Buck. CK, thank you for your note. And maybe I'm just annoyed at myself because I feel like I used to rip through more books and more quickly than I than I have in the last couple of years because I've been very busy trying to do this whole media thing. I still read I still read books. Um, I actually just finished uh, I, I just finished the uh, Kevin Williamson's book on socialism, which I found very uh, very interesting. 
it's pretty he, he deep dives that's for sure um and i i'm actually in the process right now i've really died i kind of want to read this book just on salt that i downloaded it's just salt but the history of it and how important i know it sounds weird but it it was a bestseller i think kurlansky i think is the name of the author i might read that we'll see i'll let you guys know you know i did see something yesterday the the guy who who is behind the goldman sachs elevator account which at one point was one of the funniest parody accounts on Twitter, period. Now the funniest parody account on Twitter is Titanium McGrath, no question. Titanium McGrath is the best social media parody account on Twitter that I have seen, and I'm, I'm a fan. I, li- I like to think that I'm a social media parody connoisseur. May we be a sir. Uh, but Titanium McGrath is woker than woke is the way I would describe it. Uh, but Goldman Sachs Elevator, especially in the aftermath of the 2008 financial meltdown, was just a really funny and biting satire of investment banker attitudes. That guy published a list of the hundred books that you have to read if you're that that every man has to read. And I, I looked at it; it was a pretty good list. But there's a lot of stuff on there that I think that people just believe they have to read because everyone else says so so maybe i'll come up with a a little list of my own at some point i know i keep saying i'll post all the books you guys want i can just post all the books that are on my kindle online in a, in a list and you can see what i've read and see what i'm still hoping to get to uh so there's a lot that yeah, look if i could i would just spend three hours a day reading a book reading books or two hours if, if i if i had my way Two hours a day of just reading books, but it's very hard to carve out. I got two hours a day to read the books. I got to go to the gym for an hour. I got and and then some days I'm just in sweats trying to prepare for radio and TV and things, and I never get any of these things done. It's, it's tough. You know what it's like, folks. Procrastination is the, the devil that sits on all of our shoulders all the time. Steph, Buck, could you move into the belly, or rather, how could you move into the belly of the beast? No matter how much I love the culture there, I would never live there. I go to Amherst to visit family and can't get out of there quick enough. I love lefty hippies as long as they are three states away. Shields, hi. Uh, well, uh, well, Steph, I, I'd say, you know, I'm from New York, and so I, I can't cede this place to the commies entirely. You know, I, I can't bring myself to, to be completely... Uh, I, I can't abandon my hometown, even though I know there are all these leftists running around and who run everything and all the rest of it. So we'll see. Um, Thorburn. Hi there, Buck. If you'd like to discuss the more recent mass shootings at Thorburn, that's a cool. Thorburn sounds like the name of a character from Game of Thrones. You know, Thorburn of the North. Thorburn of the Two Swords. You know, that's kind of cool. Maybe not. All right. Whatever. Hi there, Buck. If you'd like to discuss the more recent mass shootings across the country and perhaps the why and the how behind their frequency, I know of a man who has spoken on the topic more than once and is, to say the least, very insightful. So with the possibility that you'll have another segment where you decide to talk about America's endless mass shootings and you'd like to bring him on, the name of the guy is uh, Tom Friel. Okay, thanks. I've never heard of this guy, but uh, I will... I'll Google him. Google it. That's what uh, Alex Jones used to say when he get really fired up about something. You can Google it. It's on Google. Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, it's all, it's all there. It's all there if you just want to read it. If you just do the, do the research. Don't, don't, don't listen to that mainstream media telling you all that other stuff. 
Buck Sexton. Infiltration of conservative media. That guy, that guy's a CIA plant, Buck Sexton. I know, I know what he's I know his game. He's got that smug face. Looks like that guy from Parks and Rec. Looks just like him, except a little, little bigger. It's like Parks and Rec guy with, with poofier hair. You can't trust a man whose hair is that poofy. He may have a point about that, actually. He, he may have a point. Nikolai. Spelt like Nikolai. If the premise of an old horror movie revolted you that much, $1,000 says it's the human centipede. If it is, I'll send the money anyways if you promise to not watch it. Thank you for your work, Buck. Um, I've heard the human centipede is really gross, I, I, but I wasn't even... I can't even begin to tell you or, or, or remember what exactly it was that uh, that producer Brandon, um, who now is doing more... He's, he guests uh, DJs for us sometimes in the show, but uh, we don't see much of him these days. But he's very into horror movies, and I, I just, I can't. I, horror movies depress me. I watched that movie, The Witch, and I told you guys about it, and I was a little freaked out for a couple of days. And I'm a grown man. He's not afraid of nothing or nobody, except apparently scary movies on the television screen. That gets me scared. I don't like it. So, yeah. Brian. Whoa, here we go. Um, Buck, not sure how most people in the States, how much most people in the States realize that how badly the Bahamas was hit. I've been fortunate to have spent a lot of time working in the, uh, in the Bahamas over the years. Marsh Harbor, the major town in that area has been completely wiped off the map. The people of the Bahamas are some of the nicest, most genuine people I've ever met. The government of the Bahamas is bloated, corrupt, and bankrupt. This recovery is not going to be easy for them. Would be nice to see a few major cruise lines pony up who've been profiting from the Bahamians' generosity for so many years, send a few boats over to support these good people alongside our armed forces who are already there. Pray for the Bahamas, Brian. Well, Brian, that's a very important note to end the show on today, so thank you for writing it in. We are uh, sending thoughts and prayers, and if there's a way to send more resources, food, medicine, assistance, we should all certainly consider doing so uh, in the ways that we can. Um, team, as always, an honor and a privilege to be here with you in the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for listening, for hanging out. We'll be here same time, same place tomorrow. Shields high.